Good morning. Today I'm excited to be with you in Acts 15. We're going to be covering verses 22 through 35, and we'll be discussing the letter that the Jerusalem Council sends to the Gentiles this morning. So while you're, you're turning to Acts 15, I'm going to read to you a portion of one of the most famous letters ever written. It was addressed to the soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hope and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. General Eisenhower goes on to say, I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. This letter written on June 5th, 1944, the eve of the D-Day invasion that would turn the tide of World War II. So Eisenhower's letter, much like the one from our passage, it's, it's brief, but it's clear. It's powerful, it's encouraging, and the truth contained in it galvanized people from, from all different backgrounds, all different countries and experiences united them around one purpose with one mission. And in our case in Acts, through the council's letter, it's, it's brief, but it clearly takes Gentile and Jewish believers and unites them in one spirit, with one hope, in one Lord, in one faith. So let's, let's read our passage, Acts 15, beginning in verse 22 through 35. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, They rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace 
by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Father, we, we ask for your help this morning in seeing the work of Christ clearly in your word, how you have saved us and how you sanctify us. Help us see that this is, is your work by your spirit in your body. May your word this morning encourage and strengthen this body here at Maryville, just like we see in our word for these brothers and sisters in Antioch. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the main idea I want us to see from this passage this morning. The, the truth of the gospel settles the mind and strengthens the church. The truth of the gospel it settles our, our hearts and our minds. It's we are rooted into it. We can rest in it. And when that happens, it strengthens the church. And we'll break the passage out like this. Verses 22 through 29, we'll see who these, who these leaders are and what's in the letter. In the second half of our passage, what the response really tells us about the letter. So you'll recall that the Jerusalem Council, they've, they've made a world-changing decision here. They've listened to testimony from Peter Paul and Barnabas about what God was doing among the Gentiles, and the council ended up agreeing with the words of Peter. It basically said the Jews are saved the same way that the Gentiles are. By grace, their, their hearts are cleansed through faith, Acts 15, 9 and 11. So from the outside looking in, looking back, here's this, this little council who met in this little area in the, the, the Middle East to settle this intramural debate among a few thousand people who belonged to a man who was raised from the dead. But this little decision has since impacted billions of people over the last 2,000 years. But before any of that can happen, they've, they've got to get the word out. They've got to communicate their decision. So the council communicates in two ways. They send leaders from their own church, and they send a letter. So, again, verse, verse 22 here, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. So it seemed good for everyone, everybody involved, the apostles, the elders, the whole church, to choose men and send them with Paul and Barnabas back to Gentile brothers. There's unity here. There's a reason that phrases are piled up. Uh, brothers, the whole church, uh, apostles, elders, they're all of one accord. We see this in 22 and in 25. It seemed good to them, unified, one accord. They're united in sending these men. So who are they, and, and why were they sent? The, so the Jerusalem church, they don't, they don't ask for volunteers here. They don't they don't pick the, the, the new convert, the, the most eager uh, person who's just ready to help. They're, they're not looking for who has free time. Instead, they send leaders of the church. These are men who've been around for a while. Okay, One of whom, Silas, will accompany Paul on a second missionary journey. It matters that these two men were leaders in the church. They were present for all the arguments. They were there for all the testimony. They heard the accounts. They saw the evidence. They witnessed the council's decision. And that's important because 
it means these leaders, they can provide their sister churches with both context and clarity to go along with the letter. So why is that important? You ever know how sometimes you, you've got to try and figure out the tone of, of an email or a text, the tone of, of a written word? Maybe it, you've ever received a, kind of that cryptic text from your boss that's like, we need to meet and discuss the project at 9 a.m. in the morning. And kind of that's how I'm reading it to myself in that tone because I have no idea, right? It could be that I'm getting promoted tomorrow. I'm getting fired. I don't know. It, the tone of a text, it's, it's hard to tell sometimes. So I'm just, I'm just going to plead with you. They, like those little emojis, they're there for a reason. Send me a smiley face so, so I know that you're joking. Send me the little dude with the sunglasses so I know that we're cool. If you're too manly for an emoji, send me a GIF, okay? Some people call it GIF. I call it GIF. Send me a gift, or a GIF, rather, where you can do that, too. You can send me a GIF. But preferably Seinfeld or The Office, I resonate with those. So I know your tone. I know your tone in the text. That's, that's my point. It's hard to tell sometimes. So, so here we have Silas and Judas along with the letter, to provide flesh and blood tone, context, and clarity to go along with this letter. We see it straight from from verse 27. This is why they were sent. We therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. The council's taking no chances. They want no confusion. They are united in communicating truth, both in person and by letter. So let's look and see what's, what's in this letter. Look at verse 23 uh, with the following letter. Here's the brothers, uh, Silas and Judas. They have this letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. So hopefully you can feel the tone of the letter right away in the greeting. That tone is friendly. From the brothers to the brothers, greetings. Now, I want you to think about what that one word would have done for those in Antioch who are waiting on this decision. They're waiting to hear. So with one word, the hearers, they would have been moved from a place of anxiety and uncertainty to a place of belonging. Brother to brother, sister to sister, we belong to each other in Christ. There's trust in one word. So my, my plea to you is here in America... Here we are, 2021, and what's treasured and prized above all is your individualism, your ability to do what you want, when you want, how you want to do it. Friendship and and brotherly love, it, it can seem like just one more thing that I can opt into or opt out of. We don't see it sometimes as a God given blessing, not just a blessing, a necessity. The church needed each other then, and the church needs each other now. So not only is this letter friendly and and caring, it's it's clarifying. Look at at verse 24. So we've heard that, that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So they care about the impact that these false teachers have had, and they want to correct it. There's clarity in the phrases. Some persons have gone out from us, although we gave them no instructions. This tells the Gentiles, 
hey, these false teachers, they may have been claiming to be from us. They may have been claiming the, the name of James or, or uh, the apostles, but they did not have authority from us. They had no authority from the council. With these words, the council is intentionally distancing themselves, disassociating themselves from the false teachers and their message of Jesus plus circumcision. The letter brings clarity through how it describes Barnabas and Paul. Look at 25 and 26. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, they're, they're doing something here. As, as they're publicly rejecting false teachers and a false gospel, they're publicly commending Paul and Barnabas and the gospel of grace that they preach. Now, this, this is no small thing because the council understands what we need to understand. When salvation and sanctification are confused, that always leads to troubled hearts. The false teachers have caused lasting damage to the church. So look, look at this language that they use in verse 24. Troubled you and unsettled your minds. So we can read right over trouble and just, just think that, that, that that's not a big word. When, when we, somebody asks us for a favor and, and we say, my pleasure, if, if we work for Chick-fil-A, if we're normal humans, uh, we, we, we say no problem or, or no trouble. So what we mean by trouble is, is inconvenience, okay, or unsettled. We, we, we might think, man, that's, that's, a, uh, that's something that was slightly disturbing. No, the, the language here in, in verse 24, it's, it's loaded. It's loaded because trouble means anxiety, distress, terrified due to doubt. The believers in Antioch were doubting their salvation because of the false teachers, it's the same language that Paul uses in Galatians 1-7, Galatians 5 that we heard this morning, referring to the same false teachers when he said they're, they are distorting the gospel, they're troubling you. Unsettle, it means to subvert or turn away from a right state of mind. And we know what mind means, it's the root word for, for psyche, it's, it's soul, it's the person, it's feelings, emotions. So it's more than just, I'm slightly disturbed by this random false teaching. It's, my faith is threatened. I'm disturbed. I'm doubting. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know the truth. That's what's in play here. So these false teachers, they caused damage from inside the church. As we know, damage from inside, cause, it's so much harder to be aware of and guard against. These, these brothers and sisters, their faith has been poisoned. The, the church is in doubt because of these false teachers from inside the church. We kind of know what to expect from a world that both hates and needs Jesus. But from false teachers from within, and that attack can be lethal because it's, it, it can be so surprising. So this, this is a picture uh, coming up of, of Steamboat Geyser in Yellowstone. And when, this, what's, when this thing erupts, it's, it's 300 feet in the air, one of the tallest in the world. And what you'll notice is all the dead trees in the background, the, the dead bushes in the, in the foreground. They may grow for a little while, but they cannot withstand the heat from under the ground. 
nor the eruptions and debris-filled water that hits them above ground. Attacked from above and below, the trees eventually wither and die. Such is the threat that the false teachers presented to these believers 2,000 years ago. Such is the threat against the church today by false teaching and false gospels. That threat is why the Jerusalem church responded with truth that both preserved the gospel and protected the church But letters and leaders aside, ultimately we know the hero of the story. We see him in verse 28, the the hero is God. God preserves his church. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It's not just man's preference here. It's just not good for the council, good for the church. It was good to God to express what's true. What's stated next In the letter in verse 29, it causes us to move forward with precision. Let's read verse 29. What seemed good to the Holy Spirit? To lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So we're making the point the whole way that this letter is so clear. It's, it's building to you have a faith in, in Christ alone. But then these requirements, what's, what's happening here? The, the irony in a letter that's, that's so clear to the original audience, and we need to provide context and clarity now. We, we have this whole chapter, all of these churches, this council and letter devoted to clarity on the gospel, and yet here are these four requirements that, seem to go against being saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. I mean, the false teachers, they require Jesus plus circumcision. Isn't the council doing the same thing here? Requiring Jesus plus these four things? Put simply, the answer is no. The council's decision and the letter is a matter of salvation, and these four requirements are a matter of sanctification. This is important because whether these requirements were about turning away from old pagan lifestyle or caring for the tender conscience of a Jewish believer or even fleeing from sexual sin, they can all be summarized with the term sanctification. These are actions a believer takes as a result of being saved, not in order to be saved. how How do we know this for sure? Or are you just taking like your systematic theology and importing it onto the text? How do we know this for sure? We know that the council is not making the same mistake as the Judaizers because it's already been proven in the letter. Remember, Jewish and Gentile believers, they're brothers. The council has rejected the false teachers and their message of Jesus plus anything. The council publicly aligned themselves with the beloved brothers Paul and Barnabas with the gospel of grace that they preach. And actually, the end of this verse helps us. It says, if you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. It does not say, believe in Jesus and do these things and you will be saved. Add all of this to the Gentiles' joyful response to the letter that we'll get to, and we see the council's letters not adding to salvation, but rather distinguishing between salvation and sanctification. And something remarkable happens to the church when there's clarity between salvation and sanctification. 
neither are diminished, and both are treasured. When there's confusion there, when those two are muddied, we end up with kind of a light law and light gospel. When there's clarity, we can preach with full-throated conviction that we're saved by grace alone, and that same grace empowers our obedience. We can preach both when there's clarity. So remember back in Ephesians, that huge hinge that that happened at the end of chapter 3, going into chapter 4, the first three chapters, truth, promises, indicatives, the second three chapters. Now here's what we do in light of that truth. Scripture, they're both scriptures, so they're both important, but so is the order. What's been done for us by Christ empowers our pursuit of holiness Truth empowers obedience. The indicative fuels the imperative, and grace sustains them both. That flow is what we have in this letter as well. We can't hear this enough. I feel like I'm explaining, but we can't hear this enough. As a believer, you are grounded in the truth that your current Obedience is not securing your place or earning your inheritance. Rather, your current obedience is the fruit of a heart changed by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, you are no longer a troubled, unsettled, and uncertain slave to sin, but an adopted son or daughter learning to act like the father to whom you belong. You aren't even a worker earning a wage. You are a member of Christ's own body. You belong to him. You are indwelt by his spirit, and that spirit is growing you, making you more like the one that you love and the one who loves you. That is your sanctification. We can't hear this truth enough. This truth always brings clarity to how and why we obey God. We need this clarity as we try and obey God by the Spirit. Part of our sanctification that we see in this passage, in verse 29, is is our love and care for fellow believers. Now, I I don't know what the modern-day version of an animal uh, strangled or, or, or the blood or the meat sacrificed to idols, but I know that what James is getting at in, in verse 29 is requesting that the Gentile believers abstain from specific things that would cause their Gentile brothers and and sisters, I'm sorry, their Jewish brothers and sisters to stumble. What would offend their conscience as they gather together as one body? So, So when I say freedom to you, we sang about it this morning, freedom is the message of the cross. When I say freedom to you, what comes to mind? Is it red, white, and blue? Is it the, the stars and stripes? Is it the independence? Is it perhaps... Don't tread on me, my freedom. I want you to contrast that freedom that we have in America with biblical freedom. The contrast corrects our entire Western concept of individual freedom. Again, whatever the 2021 version of eating meat sacrificed to idols is, what biblical freedom emphasizes is our self-restraint. For the sake of others. And that bites. (laughs) That stings. This is is not freedom for the individual to do whatever he or she pleases. That's what Paul is getting at in in the sister passage, Galatians 5, 
13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Man, we love that part. Yes, I will not submit again to the yoke of slavery. It's been done, but there's more. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's biblical freedom. So when is the last time you did something and said, I, yeah, I've got, I've got the freedom in Christ. I've got liberty in, in, in faith here to, to do this. Did that action move you or others closer to Jesus or farther away? When is the last time you chose to lay down a freedom, a liberty you have in Christ for the sake of another? If you can't remember, there's a reason that it should concern us. This is the clarity and conviction that only comes from the Spirit. Because that, that can be condemning. This is why we need gospel and law. We need truth and command. This is why if we're terrible at this or any other effort towards holiness and sanctification, we don't give up. We appeal to the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 25. Why? Because the Spirit unites us to the one whose entire earthly ministry was one of self-restraint. This is the example. This is the key okay, to the connection between salvation and sanctification, truth and obedience. The Spirit unites us to the one who's done it perfectly, who humbled himself who took on flesh, who set aside freedoms and glories of heaven to live and die for us on earth so that we might die to sin, die to ourselves, and be set free to love him and to love others. So the truth of the gospel settles the mind and it strengthens the church. When there's clarity between salvation and sanctification, there's joy and encouragement as we can treasure both. We see this exact response from the Gentile believers once they hear the letter. Look at verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. So again, put put yourself in the Gentile believer's shoes. Who knows how long they've waited? These two random dudes, Silas and Judas, show up with the two guys that they know and love. Paul and Barnabas, who are they? What's this about? Everyone's gathered together to hear the letter. You could have heard a pin drop in that crowd, there's no doubt. They'll be hanging on every word. They're asking themselves, am I united or separated from Christ? Am I a stranger to the covenants of promise? Do I have hope in God or not? So verse 31, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They rejoice. The place explodes with joy. This is no half-hearted, muted, confused response. Joy is always the right reaction to the clarity of being saved by Jesus Christ plus nothing else. The truth of the gospel settles the mind and strengthens the church. So so troubled hearts and unsettled minds have been replaced with rejoicing. Discouraged and confused believers have been 
encouraged by truth. They've had their faith strengthened. Those who were divided are now at peace as brothers. Now, one, you know, I feel like, yes, we're happy. There's joy. Now I'm raining on the parade. I just want to offer a caveat, okay? The response tells us a lot, but it doesn't tell us everything. Huge caveat to the Gentiles' response is this. Whether or not something is true cannot always be judged by the response the truth elicits. Now, I know it's a long sentence, so I'll say, whether or not something is true cannot always be judged by the response the truth elicits. Here's what I mean. So a response of joy due to the truth of the gospel assumes a flock of genuine believers. That's the assumption. A response of joy due to the truth of the gospel assumes a flock of genuine believers for the goats or for the wandering, unrepentant sheep. The truth of the gospel and the call to sanctification, it will always be troubling and unsettling. The response of an unbeliever or a wandering, unrepentant sheep, they're going to be troubled when they hear the truth, and rightly so. So our prayer then, our prayer for them, both groups, an unbeliever or an unrepentant sinner, is the same. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus. Ask him to give you faith, to strengthen your faith. Here is where forgiveness of sins exists. Turn to him. So, with that caveat, let's, let's look specifically, though, what Silas and Judas and Paul and Barnabas did in verses 32 and verses 35. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. In verse 35, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. All four men encouraged and strengthened the church through their presence and through their words. We see these twin themes of encouragement and strength all throughout Acts. Okay? There are sermons that need to be preached according to the word on us being outward focused, mission-oriented, reaching, going, teaching, proclaiming the gospel. This is a passage and a sermon about strengthening and encouraging you, the church, that's also important. You need to be strengthened and encouraged so we can go and tell and share and proclaim. These themes should instruct us. Our presence and our words to fellow believers should encourage and strengthen them. So what's this look like? We, we see clearly in verse 35 a call to preaching and teaching the word of the Lord as a means of, of strengthening and encouraging the church. Brothers and sisters, preaching should encourage and strengthen you. It should. I'm trusting in the Holy Spirit that that's happening. This, it's not just a tradition that, that somebody gets up here each Sunday and preaches from the Bible. We believe that there is power in the preached word, power to convict you, change you, encourage you, and strengthen you, not the power of the preacher but the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit who ministers that Word to your hearts and your minds and your lives. 
It's by design that our Bible studies, our equipping classes, and our preaching is relentlessly focused on Jesus Christ. His work on our behalf in saving us, His work in making us more like Him. In other words, we attempt to preach and teach with clarity on salvation and sanctification while fully preaching and teaching and treasuring both. But not all of us are preachers and teachers. So we learn from from Silas and, and Judas. Their actions can instruct us here in verse 32. They encourage and strengthen with many words. In verse 33, we see that it was after some time they were sent off in peace. So through their words and their time, they strengthen and encourage fellow believers. How do we do this? First, we, we need to acknowledge a truth. Okay? You, right now, or at some time in the future, will be in a place where you need encouragement and to be strengthened. And you, right now, are in a place, or will be in a place, where you will be able to provide strength and encouragement to another. So I'm asking you, get in a growth group where both of these situations can naturally come together, maybe supernaturally. This works best when a believer is humble enough to admit that he or she needs encouragement And a fellow believer is committed and generous enough to offer it. Both are works of the Holy Spirit. The humility and the generosity. So what's it look like? It it looks like taking action. Encouragement and, and strength. Go. Go. Seven times in this passage, somebody's sending, sent, going, gone, went. There's action that's happening here. The point is, if a fellow believer is being troubled by false teaching, like in this passage, the situation is urgent. We've got to take action on behalf of each other. Glory to God, preserving the truth. So we go, not in a spirit of pride, but of humility. Knowing that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy 1, 5. Much of the time, though, we, we find a fellow troubled or discouraged believer, and we don't know why. We, we don't know what happened. We still take action. We still go to them, and we don't take it personally if they're slow to respond. We'll be pleasantly persistent. So think, Jill, you call it pleasantly persistent. We'll be loyally loving will be courageously, I need another C word, committed. I don't care what you call it, but be persistent. If a fellow believer needs encouragement, be persistent in pursuing them. Let's tie this to a truth. Let's tie this to an indicative. Thank God that Jesus, he's more than pleasant, he, he persists in pursuing us no matter what. He persisted in pursuing us to the cross, which then frees us to persistently pursue one another. So we go. Second, we we give our time. Again, we see this in, in 33 and 35. All four men spent time with the Gentile church. I think one reason that some of us are are hesitant to pursue troubled or discouraged believers is we don't know what to say. 
I'm, I'm pleading with you, if you're willing to give up those two hours a week and go to growth group, make sure you're splitting up into prayer time, and then, then you're down to one hour that, that God has given you, God has blessed you with, to pursue one another. Please don't keep it surfacy. Don't waste each other's time. Please. Don't just report in on kids and, and life and, and pets. Pursue one another in that one hour a week. Hopefully there's more, but at least that one hour. Pursue one another. And I'm afraid that we don't sometimes because we're, we're scared that, that somebody may share something super heavy. And we don't know how to respond. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what scripture to share. So it's safer just to keep it up here instead of here. And we're so busy thinking about how to respond, we're missing two huge steps. One, pray. Two, listen. Pray and listen. And and again, with praying, I'm going to suggest that you don't start off with praying for the right words to say. Instead, pray that you would have ears to hear what's really going on in this believer's heart. Pray that you would have eyes to see this believer as the Lord sees them. Someone to whom he, he sends a spirit, someone for whom he died. Do we have ears to hear, eyes to see this fellow believer? Jesus is near to them in their distress. Are we scared of it or are we also drawn near to them? This will be by the Holy Spirit, so we pray and we listen. Listening is hard, but listening well is an act of love because it serves the other person. So if they share something devastating, some unexpected suffering or hardship, what then? I'll argue that in that moment, they want to know that it's okay to share, that it was okay. They want to know that they've been heard. So what's super difficult in this moment is that even if you offer a truth, they may hear it as as trite, even though you don't mean it that way. Instead, what they need at that moment is a question. They've shared something heavy. They've taken a risk. Please ask them the following question. What's this been like for you? I don't usually do this, but, but say it with me. What's this been like for you? Okay, it's about 70 or 80 of you. Okay, that's, that's cool. I will take that. What's this been like for you? You are inviting them to tell you more. You're telling them that you care. Now, I know we run the risk right here. That this, oh, this is so touchy-feely art. This is so uh, uh, emotional, heart-grabby stuff. Brothers and sisters, this is about encouraging and strengthening fellow believers. That is our call from this passage, to strengthen and encourage each other. So you listen and you learn more, because depending on the issue, you will need to speak truth in love to your fellow believer. Now, I know how this could shake out. The 70 of you that repeated it with me, like you're going to be in growth group this week, it's going to be prayer time, and you're all saying to each other, what's that been like for you? Great. Ask it. (laughs) Ask it. We all know now because what we're trying to do is show love to each other. So ask away and then listen. Listen to the answer. Finally, use your words. 
most of us here, most of us here, their, their parents, we remember when our, our, our children were at that stage where they would kind of grunt when they wanted something, like, I want more cereal. They would have been, or whatever, maybe some sign language, like, I forget what all those are, but thank you, and more, is this still more? Um, and, and we would turn to them because we knew they were capable, and we'd say, use your words. Words are the emphasis of this section. Silas, Judas, Paul, Barnabas, they encourage and strengthen with many words. Words in the letter, words of the Lord, spoken words. So what's this look like? Thankfully, the council's letter and scripture is clear. It's exactly what we've been talking about, putting into practice, encouraging our brothers and sisters by bringing clarity to salvation the gospel to identity, and to sanctification, to obedience, strengthening believers with clarity on how gospel fuels obedience. So if you've attended our discipleship training, you know we deep dive into this. We look at it in Scripture, how to see this, because this concept, it's it's critical to maturing in Christ. For example, what does a brother need who's been flirting with a female co-worker, letting his mind wander into sinful fantasy? He needs a command. He needs law. Abstain from, run from, flee from sexual immorality. This is not the way you learned Christ. Put away corruption. Confess and repent of sin. Be who you are in Christ. That's what he needs. Now, even you see it, even with the command, there's, there's like truth laced all throughout it. Be who you are in Christ. When a sister is, is doubting that she belongs to God because she lost her job, The fog of anxiety, the pit of of depression does not lift. What does she need? She needs your words, words that remind her of what's true. She belongs to God, secure in Christ. He has her in his righteous right hand. She needs the truth. She needs it spoken to her, prayed over her. You see, what's happening here, clarity helps us encourage and strengthen our brothers and sisters. Clarity keeps us from reassuring the unrepentant sinner and and from hammering the tender believer. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to know when to encourage the faint-hearted with the truth, when to admonish the idle with a command. We need to know how to help the weak and be patient with them all can thank God for the presence of the Holy Spirit and His Word. So as we turn our hearts and minds towards a response to this, much, much like Eisenhower's letter to his troops and the council's letter to the Gentiles, we are galvanized together this morning for one purpose and one hope and one faith. So let the saints in Maryville join with the saints in Antioch and rejoice together at the encouragement we've received from God's word. This morning, let us continue to worship the Lord because we are strengthened by the same truth that we belong to the same Christ who protected the early church. Our fear is gone and our hope is sure because that same Christ is ours forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth and the command that we find in your word. Father, we thank you for 
clarity. We thank you for context. We thank you for tone. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who ministers to us. Father, we thank you that that your word preached, taught, shared, spoken is meant to encourage and strengthen us. So I pray that, that by your spirit, that is what has happened and will happen for us this morning. That we come away from this strengthened and encouraged by your word. Father, we thank you for the truth of who your son is, what he has done on our behalf, and what he does still protecting, preserving, encouraging, and strengthening us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.